the answer, long answer, sorry for that, is building a business that becomes the solution for someone to live their dream. Yeah. And understanding that that might mean they have to leave your business eventually. Welcome to the Great Investor Podcast, podcasts about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez. And on today's episode, I've got Jeff Cohn from Omaha, Nebraska with us. Now, Jeff is a true visionary. He starts businesses and then gets out of the way. He puts the right people in place, and he's been able to do that and build an empire in the process. He's got a title business, a mortgage business, an investment business, an insurance business, a training business, a brokerage business, just to name a few. Come listen to how Jeff has been able to create this multi-dimensional real estate business that served him well and has served his clients well. What's up, Grid? I've got Jeff Cohen from Omaha, Nebraska with me today. Jeff, man, thanks so much for for joining the Greed Investor Podcast. Uh, I'm pumped because I think you're going to add a lot of value to our investment network. And, uh, you know, last time I saw you, we we were at a big event that you had last year, which is coming around the corner again. Yeah, it is coming up. And uh, Rob was able to negotiate a discount. So we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But yeah, the Team Building Summit uh, we host here in Omaha, and it's a yearly event for investors and agents and brokers and mortgage companies, salad companies, insurance companies, coaching companies. We have a long list of businesses and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Well, I want to I want to deep dive into that. Uh, but before we deep dive into that, what I want to do is I want to go back in time a little bit and understand just so the audience understands your journey to where you are today. Because, you know, just prior to jumping on here, you were telling me you guys just did 2000 transactions under the KW brokerage that you own. But the, 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 there's a real, a different intent uh, with that brokerage, which is, you know, developing all the ancillaries that, that, come, uh, that come with that brokerage. And uh, we're going to talk about that. But I want to go back to when you yep. first started and kind of walk me through that journey a little bit because it, it's, it's pretty fast, man. It's pretty meteoric rise. So let's talk. Yeah, dude. 2006, so, right? As I sit here today, I'm 40. I turned 40 last year. And we, let's go. It was fast. Like getting here and all the things we do, it's pretty fascinating. And, you know, it's a cliche, but it's the honest truth. There's no way I could be sitting here if it wasn't for thousands, tens of thousands of people that support us. I mean, it's all about having your visionaries and your implementers. And I didn't know what I was when I started. So as soon as, Mm -hmm. as quickly as people can try to discover what they are and where their greatest strengths are, then you know where you should spend your time. But the the greatest talent is discovering where your greatest weaknesses are and recognize that it might be better off to leverage those weaknesses or outsource those weaknesses and entrust somebody else to be responsible for certain tasks that you either don't like to do or you're not good at. So Jeff, were you the visionary in that? Or we? Yeah, hundred percent. So I'll take you guys, let's go to high school. Uh, it's year 2000. So I'm in that unique class that supposedly we were going to be like on all sorts of surveys to like watch the class of 2000. I don't know if that's true. That's what they told us. Probably a scare tactic. Um, <laughs> got, got out of college or sorry, high school and just wanted to get, go to college, get my degree and start making money right out of the gate. Like that was my passion. And I went to school for business, graduated with an undergrad in business in three years, thought I'd go on to get a master's and or go to law school, which is the path my brother followed. Um, I ended up also, side note, during that time, spending two years in Brazil um, as a missionary, 
and learning Portuguese and Spanish. So at 23, 22 years old, um, I have a college degree. I spent two years in Brazil. So I have like this interesting perspective of the real world um, mm -hmm. outside of the United States and what true happiness was and like kind of what I thought I wanted. And what I learned quickly were certain patterns that I'll talk about on your show today. Um, the first pattern was being willing to be humble enough to ask people for advice. Mm. And I can't tell you how many people I know that get into a career and I'll say, how many people have you interviewed that are in that career? And they'll be like, well, what do you mean? I just started. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you went to college for four years to be an accountant and you never spent a day with an accountant when they're super busy working 90 hours a week. No, I had no idea. Well, what? <laughs> how was the education system so broken? So what I did right out of in college, actually, my junior, junior and senior year. I started interviewing all of my friends' parents that I thought were successful, that were in their 50s, 60s, retired, whatever I thought at the time represented success. And I call them informational interviews. And I followed this pattern all the way till today. Hmm. And what I recognized was that other people have read different books, have listened to different podcasts, and have masterminded with different people. That's what makes us who we are. And so if I would mastermind with the right people, essentially the informational interviews become masterminds, I could level up all sorts of things that I didn't know I could level up at a lot at a much faster pace. And so I became obsessive with the books I read, the podcasts I listened to, but most importantly, the people that I associated with. And I asked people close to me, you know, what career do you think I should go into? Should I go get a job at one of the Fortune 500s that's in my local city and drive 30 minutes to work every day and 30 minutes home and work the eight to five grind and get all the amazing benefits? Or should I go off and like forge my own path? And I knew with who I was and I was cognizant of the fact that I was an entrepreneur at a very early age and I could share stories on that later. But I knew I needed to work for myself. I needed no limitations. I needed to be able to go a million miles an hour and be able to grow whatever I wanted to grow without people getting in my way. So my mom had been in the real estate business and I chose to follow in her foot, footsteps and get my real estate license in college. So kind of rare. Most people go to real estate school, you know, nights, weekends, whatever. I took college courses, got my, my real estate license in 2006 and started selling as a residential agent in 2007. And I did that for six years. I became the number one agent in my state I think in like the first five years and I built a real estate team. So in 2011, we launched a team called Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group. And it went from me doing 70 deals a year to the team within six years, we were doing 700 deals a year, making us the fastest growing residential real estate team in history across all brokerage brands. And if anyone can contest against that, I'll send you a hundred dollar gift card to the restaurant of your choice. <laughs> Let's reach out to Rob. And I love crap. it. They have to be single family homes. It can't be lots or multifamily, mm -hmm. you know, under units mm -hmm. that way. Um, so our team um, in 2020 decided to leave Berkshire Hathaway. And we were, by the way, the number one team in the world at Berkshire Hathaway at the time. And we launched a brokerage. And I'll talk about with your audience why we did that. But in 2020, we officially launched in January, right before COVID. Uh, we moved from a 3,000 square foot office that had 25 agents to a 10,000 square foot office that had 25 agents. And we grew rapidly in the last two years. We've grown over 500%. Uh, we went from 700 sales to 2,000. We went from 30 agents to 150 agents, where we went from one location to nine cities across Nebraska. But the real success in that, and I know you're going to want to pick apart some of the failures through this journey, but the real success, I feel like, in that growth, one was during COVID. So it speaks volumes to our ability to navigate the changes. And I know that's something we want to talk about today. And I'll speak to the hybrid tech powered office we built for COVID previous to COVID, not knowing COVID would exist, but we believe mm -hmm. future. And then we also did it during crazy political unrest. You had rioting, you had, and this is, this hit all the small towns too. I mean, we're in Omaha, Nebraska. I think we're the top 50 city in America in population. 
and we had crazy rioting downtown. And that stuff halts growth typically. You don't see growth when all of this is happening. So to be able to grow amidst that, I think to myself, well, what would have happened if it wasn't all of that stuff going on, which is what I now get to watch over the next two or three years. So my question is this, why why did you decide to make that transition, right? From team to brokerage, do you run a team bridge model? Like what was the thinking yeah, with that? So I got people, it. You know, so many people get stuck in just kind of doing the same thing over and over again, year after year. And it looks like you reiterated like the version of yourself, like faster, yeah. right? So well, what's interesting is I have a couple of things I'll say to unpack that. So Warren Buffett made a great recommendation. He said, a lot of people always say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Warren always says, you can put all your eggs in one basket. Just watch the basket. So I don't think that it's necessarily wrong for someone to be focused on one thing. Uh, Gary Keller wrote a book called The One Thing. It's a New York Times bestseller. Great book. It's a, it applies to any industry. But he talks about how a lot of major companies became popular off one thing. I mean, Nike exploded with the Air Jordans. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, obviously, was an amazing basketball player, but he made most of his money off the Jordans shoes. Um, and there's a whole list and he breaks it all down. But it's okay to do one thing. And I think it's important to do something great consistently over long periods of time. That's what success is. It's doing the boring and the mundane perfectly over a long period of time. But for me, I get bored. So visionaries need to continually to have a new vision. And so as I got bored, I'd start another business or I would move one business and change it to something else. And I feel like a lot of people start to get bored and that's okay. But be sure like when that friction starts and a lot of investors I know feel that when that friction starts, find someone to do the things that are boring to you that you've lost interest in and put yourself in a new position. You can literally fire yourself, which is your active role. And you put someone else in that active role and then go choose a new active role. Mm -hmm. And so one other thing I always say is true leaders, the big reason to answer your now specific question, that true leaders serve their followers by giving them the ability to be just like them. When I ran a real estate team, I had... I did not have the freedom at the brokerage I was at. And most real estate brokerages don't allow teams to have a teams within their team and B ancillary businesses that compete directly against the brokerages, ancillary businesses in their office. And um, there's three different types of agents that come into the business. And it's the same thing in the investment world. You have dependent agents. They need their handheld. They typically join a team at first. There's interdependent. And that's your traditional agent. That's a traditional person that knows how to fill out a contract, but they still need the broker, you know, to have the jurisdiction over them and to have the broker's license and to provide them an office and a printer and an admin. And then you have an independent person who wants to be able to, be able to operate on an island and only pay a set amount per year, but then they can do all the, th the things on their own. They already have their broker's license. They already have their listing presentation, buyer presentation, training, all their own stuff. And so the main reason we switched broke, we switched from the team model to the brokerage model, which is more of a broke, bro probably a team ridge, like you said earlier. Mm was so that we had the ability to attract all three subsets. So you're dependent, you're interdependent, and you're independent. And we wanted that from a growth standpoint. So instead of going from a team standpoint, and anyone that's an investor right now, you think about who do I need to add to my investment team? And you're thinking about an admin person, or you're thinking about a buyer's agent, or your acquisition manager, or a sell listing agent, or disposition manager. I didn't want to think at that level. Not that that level's wrong. That's fine. That's a, That's part of the journey. I wanted to acquire the investment company. Mm -hmm. I wanted to think about, hey, what investment company right now would be able to make more money in less time with less energy and be able to 
realize their dreams by being a part of my organization rather than trying to operate on their own. So that independent investment company, using that as the parallel, if it were to choose to partner with my investment company, we could all do better together. Mm -hmm. One plus one, five. That was why we launched the brokerage is I wanted to be able to go partner with other brokerages, other large mega teams that couldn't join me if I was just a team. And I did air quotes for anyone listening. It was somebody <laughs> that thought, you know, felt like to be a part of our world, um, they did. They wanted their own identity. And because we were number one for so long in our marketplace, a lot of people I felt like weren't wanting to align with my team because it probably cast a shadow on their success and on them. And it needed to be, all, it needed to be about them. And so we actually chose, and I've never seen another team do this before, but after 10 years being the number one team in my city, number one team in the world of Berkshire, in 2019, we retired our name. Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group will go down for the ages. It has not operated since 2019. And we became KW Elite. And all the agents on my team essentially were, were kicked off the team. The team no longer existed and were invited to start teams at KW Elite, the new brokerage, and be team leaders of their own. And some didn't Jeff, make it. Some left. Jeff, that is ballsy, dude. I'm just gonna say that sounds uh, like I'm just gonna put it that like that. What that took some serious cojones because you're leaving an un un a bit a, a, a known to to really go to an unknown. Dude, I was making net six hundred a year five years in a row. Two thousand nineteen yeah. six hundred net. Yeah. I was making, um, I tell people to follow, I have a 70, 20, 10 rule, 70% of gross commission goes to agents, 10% overhead and 20% should be net, which is different than the MREA book. If you're a residential agent listening, that's read that book that Gary Keller wrote. Um, but yeah, it is, it was ballsy. It was risky. It was very risky. And I there's no guarantees any of your agents stay. They're not my agents. They're not employees. They're independent sure. contractors. I think we had everyone with the exception of maybe one or two of our 25 came with us. Um, and was we just pain, was there pain associated with doing that? Meaning, did you reach a point where you, where you just looked at the T model and said, okay, there's, there's pain around this T model and I need to, to look at maybe a bigger opportunity and, and launching the brokerage. I, I would imagine you're starting to think ancillary businesses. That's when you start yeah. tying in all the, all of these different business units that tie to that yeah. that brokerage. My biggest weakness is I'm going to right now share 100% the truth. I don't talk about this very often, but you're asking me a good question and I'm just going to share it. So you guys either take this and pack it up and do what you want with it. It all comes down to data. So as a team with 30 agents or a brokerage with 150 or an ancillary company that works in all 50 states with millions of data points, which company is in a position to generate the most amount of revenue in the least amount of time with the least amount of energy? It all came down to data. So the reason that I chose to retire the team's jersey and become the brokerage across the state was because I wanted to access, I wanted, I wanted access to more data. So I use the analogy of, let's say, Nintendo. Um, I've been told gaming systems, typically they break, break even if they make anything. It's pretty much break even off the system. And they make all their money off the games. Now, in the olden days, they used to have to produce the game and you'd have to, you know, get it in, the, put it inside the system to be able to play your game. Now it's just download off a cloud, which is insane. But ultimately, if you own data, all the agents in your world, and this is the same thing with the investment world, everybody's thinking about grabbing a dollar off of a transaction. Okay, I'm going to flip a house. I'm going to make my 50 grand or 
I'm going to do a real estate deal and make my 3% off 300,000. I get nine grand. And they think that's the win. And what they're missing out on is all the other revenue they could generate. So you brought up ancillary businesses, and I'll talk about that a little bit today. But it's not even the revenue you can generate off the point of sale. It's the revenue you can generate for life off of the relationships you build with humans. Mm. And it's not because you're trying to take advantage of them. I don't say in a way where I'm trying to hurt someone. I, I want to offer them something more than anyone else can offer them. And so what we're in the process of building is a platform that partners with real estate investment companies and partners with real estate brokerages. And we partner with other tech companies and we bring them all of the ancillaries that generate multipliers to a real estate transaction, mm -hmm. which include mortgage, title, insurance, investing. And so that's how we partner. And then we train them through our training arm, which is our coaching company, Elite Real Estate Systems. And then we equip them with a marketing department so every time they launch any of these types of ventures, it's an out-of-the-box solution. All we want, all we need is access to one thing, data. And we can do everything for our partners without them lifting a finger. We just need access to their data. And people are like, oh, well, it's too good to be true. Well, last year, just give it to give an example to your listeners, we own a home and auto um, insurance company. And most people get two autos and a home on their insurance. And if you don't know the delineation between captive and independent, it's a big di difference. So independent is an insurance firm that can sell everybody's insurance products. And captive is a company like State Farm where you only can sell State Farm. You can't go sell anyone else's company. Well, when you're an independent, which we own, we can shop all the insurance companies and everyone, depending on their insurance credit, they have different products out there that they should be using. But State Farm, for example, and I don't mean to beat up on State Farm for any other reason than that was the first one that popped to my mind. But they're going to try to put someone in a State Farm product, even if State Farm isn't the best option. Mm -hmm. And so we have closed over 50% of buy sides. So we had a thousand or sorry, 2000 sales last year called a thousand buy sides. 500 people in 12 months ended up going with us for home and auto. So for the people that don't know what that means, that means $500 times 500. And the thing that's beautiful about insurance is it renews every year. So then just whatever math you did, do that again every single year. And that's just on one year subset. So what happens when I add another year and then another year and then another year? And then we're, now we're just talking Omaha. Now let's go to the nine other cities. Now let's go to all 50 states. Now let's do a million deals a year. It's insane. And that's one company. That's insurance. But the cool thing about insurance that a lot of people take for granted, all of the investors listening, you have a database. What if you had a joint venture with an insurance company right now? And what if you made your database available to them? And what if you know the closing dates of every client that's ever bought one of your investment properties, or if you're a realtor, any person that's ever worked with you, every year on that month that they closed, they have to make a decision if they want to renew their insurance or if they want to go with somebody else. And you could start messaging them, or if you partnered with us, we'd do it for you, six, six weeks, eight weeks before their renewal date to ask them, hey, do you want to shop other options? It's that simple. It takes literally two minutes. It's like the Geico commercial or Aflac commercial. Like within 15 seconds, you can say 15% on your auto insurance. So I don't know a lot about anything. I'm not the implementer. I don't have licenses for anything. So I own everything. Um, and I'm the visionary for a lot of the businesses, but I don't do anything. I have no title. My kids are like, what do you do? I'm, I'm a visionary. Okay, dad, what, <laughs> what does that mean? I do the things I love. You know, we got to hang out last year. You saw me, you saw my mm -hmm. house. We, we mm -hmm. played pickleball. Uh, we went down to the event. I, I do podcasts like this. I get to meet with um, all of my direct reports, the CEO, CFO, and COO of all of our businesses meet with me and our entire group every other week. Mm -hmm. So those are like, the, th that is my active role. But I became obsessed with being 
cognizant of the active roles that I chose to be in and then the passive income that I was able to generate. And to me, you're always in an active role. Even when people choose to get reti- uh, retired, get retired. When people mm-hmm. say, I'm retired, you're still in an active role of doing nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Or an active role of golfing or fishing or traveling or whatever it is you dream of doing when you retire. You're, you're still active. It's what you choose to do every day. Passive income is income that comes to you without you doing anything. It's investments in the market as long as you're getting a positive ROI. It's, an, it's your investment team all doing stuff while you're on a trip to Cabo and they don't need you to be there to make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Most people never get out of the active role of their business. They be they build a business that requires them to be necessary. And that's the biggest mistake people can make. And a lot of people listening right now are probably agreeing with me, even if you want to hate the idea behind it, it's the 100% truth. Jeff, I love this. And and I, I'm going to dissect a little bit about what our business looks like because it's very similar, but it's it's it would come at it from a different angle. Um, but before I do that, that's not possible to do what you've just done unless you create what I call a lead machine, like a, a machine that's generating active income, which it, which it, it sounds like your your brokerage, your team initially was that that machine and then it moved to the brokerage side. So that's it's that machine where income is coming in and then you have the ability to point energy in different directions, mortgage, title, insurance, investments. I'm curious, which one out of all those do you like best and why? <laughs> Uh-oh. If you're a business partner of mine and, and any of those businesses, <laughs> shut this off for about five minutes. Um, I find the investment business the most exciting. Um, the main reason why is you own something that doesn't require point of sale. So, and I'm talking um, buy and hold. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I, I was so shocked. You and I are in a, um, an uh, investor mastermind together. I've been in several of investor masterminds and I've been very surprised how many people talk about flipping and how mm, excited they are flipping or, or wholesaling or wholesaling. And you hear all these buzzwords and everyone's so excited. Well, I've made millions of dollars and I've paid millions of dollars in taxes. There's nothing exciting about making money. It's the worst thing that you can possibly do. Making money, building wealth is exciting. And so the government has allowed us a little cheat code called the Burr strategy. Mm-hmm. And so I can close on doors and burr the house at closing as long as I can cover my debt obligation with $300 of cash flow per month. I'm pulling twenty, thirty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 of equity out of houses at close because we're finding them for 30, 40, or 50% below market value. And that's genius because now your debt obligation is still covered. You just pulled all this cash out that we obviously kick the can and we go do something with it on the next property. But it gets me excited. Um, in the last, and I'll share our, our numbers, in the last four years, I partnered with my best friend, uh, Clint Bartlett. I don't know if you've had him on your show yet. He's my implementer. He's we awesome. own a company called Dynamic Properties. He is. He's great. Uh, we've bought over 140 doors that we've held. And we've bought probably 600 doors. We've kept about a third. Mm-hmm. And we just had an appraisal done last week, and they were valued at $20 million. And... To me, in four years to build a portfolio worth 20 million, and those are all on like 20 year, you know, adjustable rate mortgages every five years they adjust. Mm-hmm. Local mm-hmm. banks, we have four or five mm-hmm. local banks, fully leverage. We're at 80% mm-hmm. leverage. So no one go away thinking, oh, dude, this guy's worth 20 million. I will be mm-hmm. in 20 years if I'm alive still, but I'll be worth a lot more than that because we're still doing this. We keep yeah. buying and buying and holding. And you're money. young. Yeah, 40. You know, the, so I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, 
dude, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because we think so alike. It's not even funny. We, we didn't get a chance to really sit down and talk. You, you were, po you were hosting your event before and yeah. you know, you were hosting a bunch of people and yeah. And we were playing competitive pickleball, right? But we didn't talk right. about it. We're busy. Right. We're busy. And so I've always said the number one way that an agent or an investor that's wholesale, I mean, it's all active income, right? You have to convert that active income into passive income. And the only way to do that is by buying assets that you're going to hold the long term. And the number one mental roadblock that most people have is that they say, well, I'll invest when I, and then fill in the blank. Right. Mm -hmm. When I have enough money to invest, um, when I have enough, when the market savings, comes yeah, back down, they mm -hmm. yeah, they don't realize that they can partner with people, right. That they, that the person that controls that asset actually controls the terms of, of, yeah. of how are you going to divvy up that deal? So I uh, think about that, right. You've built this team, you know, if you build a team, you built it to the point where somebody it created value, but it was hard, it's hard to do that. Right. I, I recognize how hard that is, but you could buy an asset and, and, you know, immediately have a $50,000 net worth because of the asset that you purchased. And then another one, and then it's a hundred, another one, 150, another one, 100%. before you know it, you've got 20 million. No one can argue. I mean, it's insane. The number mathematically, it just makes sense. And the world we live in now and the luxury we have of being in the United States and the way the mortgage system works and the way the appraisal system works, like if you just listen and do it, like in the last six years, no one could fail. Like people yeah. told Clint and I, when we started buying in like 2015, 2016, like, really, you're going to start buying into a seller's market. And then 2017, 2018, they're like, whoa, you're still going to be buying. It's a seller's market. And we're in 2022. And guess what? We're still buying and it's a seller's market. And everyone's like, oh, it's the market softening. Are you worried? I'm like, no, we're not worried. Just know the math, like make sure you have enough cash flow to cover your debt obligation. If the market were to tank how it tanked back in 2009. And so for us, it was a 7% decline, the worst market ever in Omaha, Nebraska, 7% decline. And of course that happened maybe two or three years in a row, but as long as we're covering our debt obligation, I'm not concerned. The problem is when people get over leveraged and back in 09, 2010, 2011, for those that weren't in the business, then the, what happened was banks were doing 105, 110% loan to value. So if you own a portfolio worth 20 million, they're willing to write you another check for 5 million or whatever the difference would be mathematically. And that's just insanity because if the market goes down, which no one ever thought it would, then all these people were cash called and they couldn't do it and they had to foreclose. So make sure you cover cash, you know, your debt obligation so that doesn't happen when the market goes down. It will go down again. Of course, we just don't know when. Um, but you're dead on. I agree, Rob. The other passive income that I am excited about, I already spoke to, and that's insurance. Other than that, everything else I do is point of sale. And what I mean by point of sale is it's connected to a transaction taking place like a flip or a wholesale or a wholesale. So mortgage, mortgage refinance can happen after point of sale, but that's only when rates are low that you're really crushing it. Last year, refi was the biggest it's ever been, lowest rates ever. I mean, that's the, that was the biggest business. Um, title, not a sexy business, but title insurance makes money. We net around $300 a transaction. So not a big deal if you're only doing 10 deals a year, but if you're doing 2,000 deals a year, that adds up pretty quick. There's a lot of cash there. And you talked about the energy that's generated from the different business entities. And one business and that energy, which let's just call it money, begets mm -hmm. the next and begets the next, as long as people are willing to take a step back, to take a step forward. The mistake I see a lot of people make is instead of taking that step back, like I did when I retired, my jersey is number one. Like 
a lot of people's egos are too big or their identities are wrapped mm -hmm. up in their team's success to just completely dismantle it. Jordan tried to do it. I was just watching the last dance. He went back to 45 for like a game and completely just socked it up. And he's like, I need 23. It felt more natural. He needed the <laughs> So one thing though does lead to another. It's like dominoes. So I was an agent and I was selling a lot of real estate. I made a hundred grand my first year at 23 years old. That's, that's not normal. So no one listened and think, oh, this is like normal. Like that was abnormal. I worked more than most people. I think I worked harder and smarter than most people. At a young age, I was doing everything I could possibly do. And I was training myself and investing back in myself. And then when we launched the team, I had the luxury of I was earning 350 grand a year net and then launched a real estate team with the goal that 20 years down the road, I could stop selling and my team would generate me around a half a million to a million a year. That was my goal. Three years later, I quit selling in 2014. Mm -hmm. Watched the team at 11 and 14, I quit selling. When I quit selling, I walked away from 350 grand a year and the team only had made me 250 grand in 14. So I'd made a total of like 600. But I believed that if I put all my time towards recruiting agents, I could make more money net at the end of the year than if I put my time towards prospecting for leads. Because the way I looked at it is the agent was passive income. I knew an agent netted me 20 grand a year. Mm -hmm. And if I saw a listing, I'd only make 20 grand once, maybe every 11 mm -hmm. years. But off an agent, if I recruited an agent, I got money for 20 grand every year. So the difference between an agent and an investment property, the investment property has to stay with you because you own it. The agent's an independent contractor. If they find the next best brokerage to go to because they offer a ping pong table or draft beer or 100% commission split or whatever little excuse they make as to why they couldn't be successful with you. So they jump ship and go somewhere else. There's no way to hold them. So that's why back to your quite initial question of why I like investment properties so much. Yeah, the investment property will work for you 24-7, right? Doesn't talk back, does its job for the most part, right? And, put, and, your, yeah. put your tenants in a month to month after their first 12 months. There is nothing better. You want to make some money. Everyone's like, well, your money's all tied up in real estate. Uh, you kick some, we have one right now. It's worth we, it was worth 300,000 last year. Today, we think it'll, it's worth 500. We had them on a month to month after the first 12. They're paying 2,300 a month rent. We just asked them to vacate last month. If we put this house on the market right now, we'd make $500,000. Mm -hmm. So when people are like, oh, well, what do you do when you need to get your money out? It's not liquid. I'm like, it's pretty damn liquid. Like in a seller's market, your properties are pretty liquid. What you don't want is to have to sell when it's not a seller's market, obviously, if you have a big debt obligation, especially. Let's go back to talking about the nine cities that you've launched into. I want to understand and unpack that a little bit, right? Because I think that there's there, there's um, there's some things that I need to understand from that. So you built a brokerage and the brokerage yeah. essentially services almost like a media team, right? You guys have become a media services team for agents within your brokerage. And, and in Omaha proper, how many agents do you have? Uh, around 100. 100. Okay. 100. And then explain to me. And the by other the cities. way, there's 3,000 agents in Omaha and there's mm -hmm. 24,000 sides, 12,000 homes that sell each year. And we have less than a month of inventory, like a lot of places. Our average sales price is around 270,000. Just to create context okay. of the number of agents we have. Sure. No, no, that's uh, that's important. You know, my, my, my market is average price point is 550, right? Yeah. Um, double. Double double, which is good for title, good for mortgage, good for insurance. Like, right. So Rob, earlier I was talking about the independent model or the mm -hmm. dependent or the interdependent. 
So we wanted to be able to take the KW Elite franchise name. So we're part of Keller Williams, okay? I didn't start Keller Williams. We partnered with Keller to launch one of their franchises. So it would be like someone wanting to partner with Pizza Hut, but they didn't want to just partner in one city. They said, you know what? I want the whole state for Pizza Hut. And I want to open up a Pizza Hut in every major city where we think a lot of people are going to order pizza. But I want to do it differently. Instead of just relying on the franchise located in wherever it is for Pizza Hut, I want to be the company that's offering the marketing and the lead gen and the technology and all the systems and support. We're going to charge for that. We have a company called E7 Assist where we do all sorts of things. But the reason people want to come into our world is instead of the old fashioned model where the broker takes from all the agents and doesn't give any value. And that's why people don't respect brokerages very much. We're going to partner with other entrepreneurs that are independent models and we're going to give them ownership of mortgage, title, insurance, and an investing arm in their local city. And we're doing this across the country. So we incubated the idea in Omaha and now across Nebraska over the last 24 months. And we're gearing up to launch in all 50 states. Now, there's certain businesses that are harder to get launched in other states, but we're already operational in like 10. And so dependent upon demand at, at the time that brokers come to us that have, you know, call it 100 agents and are doing over 1,000 transactions a year on the buy side, will open up and get licensed in those locations. And you'll actually approach brokerages. So real estate brokerages will approach us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've already been approached by hundreds of real estate brokerages that are like, wait a second, if we partner with you, we automatically will have ownership. And they have to, I mean, obviously this is all done legally. We have a rescue sure. attorney that works on the operating agreements. And what it looks like is essentially they'll have 49% ownership and it's all negotiable but 49 percent is the typical we retain majority and that's required at most of the in most of the ventures and we want access to the database so like when it comes to home and auto insurance at point of sale if they're using like docusign or dot loop we want to be able to reach out to the client and say hey we understand you just bought a house with rob chavez and we're really excited you bought a five hundred fifty thousand dollar whatever uh the reason for the call rob wanted to make sure you have the best deal in home and auto uh, right now, it looked like you guys were working with State Farm. That's great. They do a good job. We have State Farm. We can offer that. We have 25 other insurance companies. Would it be okay really quick if I ran your numbers to make sure that State Farm is being honest and giving you the best deal? Mm-hmm. Everyone says, yeah, we close 50% of the buy sides. And typical yeah, which is crazy. close ratios on ancillary is less than 10% from brokerage. People are like, why would I support the brokers, brokers ancillary? Because usually those brokers ancillary aren't doing what's best for the client. And what's challenging, and this rings true to every industry, You have three people you're looking out for. One is the agent that works for you. All the people that work for you, your admin, all of them. Two are the clients they serve. Mm -hmm. Three is your business being profitable. Mm -hmm. And you should Mm -hmm. come last. Mm -hmm. So we look at our agents. Are we serving the agents, the independents, the locations that choose to partner with? This is across all the businesses we own. Two, are we making sure that the agents that are in our world have the best systems, the best tools, the best technology, the best office, everything that's best to help serve the client. And then three, can we be profitable doing it? And if all of those boxes get checked, yes, then it's gonna be successful. If any of those boxes aren't checked, yes, then it's not successful. Just because there's money in the bank and I'm profitable, but I'm not giving someone good service, I'm not profitable. Mm-hmm. I'm not successful, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not successful. Interesting. So so I'll share with you a little bit about uh, how we do it. And I know this is about you, Jeff, but you're a, you're a business consultant. So I'd love to get your mind on this, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, you know, we operate where KW's our platform, it's our brokerage platform. And within our MLS here, we have six 
separate offices. So the Casa Group sells no real estate at all. It's a servicing arm to the six different real estate teams. It's also servicing arm to the construction business. It's also servicing arm to the investment business. It's also has a, a title ancillary business that's attached to it, which by the way, I don't own the title company. We formed a JV with them. So one of my questions is, do you actually own the title company? Well, you yeah. own it if you have a joint venture. Well, we own, we own that piece of the- You own your joint venture. I own my joint venture, right? So everything we did, we started from scratch. We incubated every business entity because I wanted to be able to expand it nationally. Yeah. So we wanted to operate in the states and I wasn't going to be able to launch a JV. So like if you guys are getting approached by companies and they're like, hey, I'll do a 50-50 or 49-51. And then you want to go launch in an area across the country to another location. How, how do you do that? Like, how do you cut up that pie? Most people, by the way, don't want to do what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. so when I talk to people about this, I'm like, take the JV deal. That's a great deal. And it, depending on what your goals are, usually that's going to be a good deal. Most people aren't launching a brokerage going, I want my brokerage to serve all 50 states and, you know, expand all over, over the country. But yeah, because the but, level of complexity, I mean, now you're responsible for the title, you're responsible for the mortgage. Like, I mean, I would imagine the people I partner with are, but yes, mm -hmm. you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Somebody is going to have to oversee that, but. Here, my whole thing is I walk. So I flew into Sao Paulo, Brazil, largest city in the world, 26 million people at the time when I was there in 2001. And there's skyscrapers that you get to. And I had been to Manhattan a couple of times. And I was like, I see the skyscrapers like, oh, we're downtown. And then there were skyscrapers. And then there were skyscrapers. And then there were skyscrapers. Five minutes in an airplane, skyscrapers. I was like, how is this even possible? Like just <laughs> endless magic. So the point of the story is someone built those buildings. I know engineers can listen to this and like, you get that process. I don't get that process. But what I recognize is that we see things as, in, as if they're impossible, but start telling yourself like someone did it. So like getting licensed in all 50 states, like figure it out. Somebody already did it. So like, is there a way to partner with that entity that already did it and then just create a different name? Like there's a lot of different ways to do things. The challenge is Rob, and I think you'll agree. And then we can get into the consulting question if there was a question. The challenge, the biggest challenge I find is that people get so stuck in their active roles that they don't get to spend time thinking outside mm -hmm. of what their role is to really discover their greatest potential, to really, you know, achieve their highest level of existence or their highest potential. And it's, it's disappointing to me. Um, it's always on yourself. Like go read the extreme ownership by, I think it was mm -hmm. Jocko that wrote that book. Mm -hmm. It's you like you got to choose like who do you want to be when you grow up you get to make that choice every day who do you want to be in every area of your life and if you're not where you want to be right now it's 100% your fault. Yep. And so what changes do you have to make first it starts with your mind and the way you think and then your thinking changes your actions and your actions and get you new results and the results might be good or they might be bad but either way you win because if they're bad then stop doing that thing and change again. But if mm -hmm. they're right and then, then double down on what was right. You can grow that way. But most people are just scared to change. And so they just do things the same way. And they complain about the result, but they're getting the result of the exact the exact thing they're putting their time and energy into. They're getting the exact result of how they chose to spend their time. Yeah. And I'm pretty ruthless with people when they're like, hey, I'm upset because our numbers are still 200 units a year and I wanted to be at 400. And I'll be like, did you double your agent count? Did you double mm -hmm. your marketing expense? Did you, you know, mm -hmm. what did you change? Like nothing. I just thought it was going to change. It's like <laughs> the world doesn't owe you anything. The only way you're going to get a result is by actually going out there and doing it. Yep. Yep. So my consulting question was, you could have done that with the team. 
right? You've seen teams expand, but it almost sounds like what you decided to do was expand brokerage services instead, yeah. which I understand the appeal of that because you get a lot of independents that want their own brand, but they want to be tied to maybe the media company or the services company. Um, I'll challenge your, your comment mm -hmm. just because it's fun for listeners to hear sure. me challenge you a little. Sure. I don't think you can do it with a team. No mm -hmm. teams. There might be five in the Keller, even the Keller Williams ecosystem that have proven expansion. I took ESO, expansion systems orientation. Nobody's having success expanding. People, mm -hmm. and, and how do we define success? Show me someone that has an expansion team that that's a million dollars a year passive off of the expansion team and doesn't have to do anything. I don't mm -hmm. see it very often. Are there some, and somebody right now is going, oh, Jeff Cohn, what about that one guy up in wherever? But yeah, there's one-offs. But that's not something that should be taught. The challenge is this. The reason I, I think expansion doesn't make sense from the team standpoint is most people don't even have 1% market share in the city they're in. And then they start talking about going and selling in other markets. Well, mm -hmm. let's get to, you know, let's get to a point of diminishing return in your own market. And I say the same thing for investing, unless you're trying to diversify your portfolio. Why are you expanding 40 minutes away when you don't even have 1% of the market share in your own city? It's mm -hmm. nonsense. It's stupid. It's ego. Oh, puff my chest. The reason we're in nine cities is because we have teams that approach us that live in these cities outside of Omaha that want all of the support of this Omaha office. They want the cool tech. They want the the energy that we've created. They want the listing presence, the buyer presence, all the training. They want access to the ancillaries. There's actually like true value. And so they want to partner in our world. I haven't seen a lot of teams successfully navigate um, the ancillaries in their expansion efforts because teams don't produce enough transactions. So they're like a, a point of diminishing returns. And then there's also the point in which a business has exponential growth. What do you call that? Economies of scale. Mm -hmm. So to make mm -hmm. sense in any of these ancillaries we're talking about, you have to have a thousand buy sides a year. So mm -hmm. most teams, even teams with expansion teams, they're not even hitting a thousand buy sides. That's why they don't own ancillaries. And they have marketing service agreements, which are now called strategic partnerships, which aren't bad. But there's a, you know, having ownership in something's better than the strategic partnership play. And I know well, I mentioned you, I want to talk to your audience about that too. Yeah. Well, let's let's deep dive in that. You know, when I when I think about it, let's look at the one of the one-offs. Let's look at place. But place wouldn't call themselves a team, right? They would say we're a marketing, we're a platform, a coaching marketing platform yeah. that services teams across yeah and, and they do it the across country. all brokerage brands right i don't all think across all brokerage brands yep yeah 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 and place is a huge one-off so that's a great example of a one-off like there's two or three that i could say and they're the only ones that are doing it mm -hmm. at a high level mm -hmm. and the offering if you get under the hood and look at it it to me is really basic and it's not that impressive what's being offered um i think companies uh i think companies have been overrated in terms of what what people perceive they're getting and then what they're actually getting. Mm -hmm. And what I will say is it's all based on exit. So exit strategy is a strategy that someone comes up with so that when they sell their company, they get a large multiple. So usually earnings before interest, taxes, and appreciation is EBITDA. You take mm -hmm. an EBITDA with a 2x multiplier, 5x, like a Keller Williams Market Center maybe is around a 5x return. Mortgage companies in the last 12 months have been going for 10x. Uh, tech companies can go for 20x. So you have these valuations. Realtors and investors don't even talk about exit. Mm -hmm. Nobody mm -hmm. talks about it. Everyone's talking about how much commission do you generate? Like we get trophies for selling a house. What? <laughs> like in, in Berkshire Hathaway, and I'm going to make fun of them. Sorry, Berkshire. I'm doing it. They put signs in their agents' yards that say a top realtor lives here. 
Can you even imagine like a doctor, <laughs> dentist, or an attorney? A top attorney lives in this house. How embarrassing. <laughs> that is embarrassing. Life. Like that's a joke. It's oh. embarrassing. So it's also embarrassing that we don't have exit strategies. So and why we don't is because we aren't business owners. We tell ourselves and pat ourselves on the back, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an independent contractor. No, you're not. If if you are, you're not selling real estate. You're not or you're not working on the investment business. You own it. And it's passively generating revenue for you. And you're working on the bigger, better things, but you don't have this active role. If you did, if you have an active role, you have a job inside your business. And that's most, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of for most people. So I, 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 I ran teams who like behind me is a sign that says the team building podcast. So mm -hmm. we get like 100,000 downloads a year. I was, I'm huge on teams. I believe in teams. There's a purpose for them. Not everyone wants to expand across the whole state, mm -hmm. but for us, we felt very strongly that we would have a better ability to control the narrative, uh, provide value to the consumer, provide value to agents if we owned the brokerage, if we had access to make all of the decisions at the brokerage level. And mm -hmm. Berkshire was very hard to navigate. They, they made it difficult. So the challenge is if you want to expand inside the Berkshire world, I couldn't be with my broker in Omaha if I went across a territory. Right. Mm -hmm. I had to now partner with a different brokerage and a different commission splits, different leadership, different admin. I mean, it was a nightmare. And when I met with Chris Stewart at the time, I believe he was either the president or the CEO. I always get them mixed up, but he was running Berkshire Hathaway. And this is back in fall of 2019. He, him and my broker in Omaha said, that doesn't make sense. Why do you want to expand all across the state and all across the U.S.? And why do you want to launch ancillaries? And why do you want to do all these things? <laughs> why don't you just keep doing what you're doing? You're doing such a great job killing it, man. You're a rock star making our office $400,000 a year. And about a year later, Chris left and he's now the CEO of Place. Mm -hmm. so the whole idea <laughs> I unveiled and that they both were like that doesn't make sense Chris literally 12 months later took that position with place and smart to do it Ben Kinney's awesome and great organization great people I have nothing but respect for all of them including for Chris Yeah, but it was just kind of telling to me like when your leader doesn't know how to lead you mm -hmm. let me say it a different way when your leader's ecosystem doesn't allow you to be successful inside of it any longer mm -hmm. it's time to go somewhere else Mm. And I couldn't think of a better place than Gary Keller and Keller Williams. Yeah. Oh, that's why. And this is not a promotional ad. Here I, here I wear my KW hat today. Normally I wear my ERS hat, but this isn't a promotional ad. Like people need to have success wherever they choose to go. And I'm not trying to push one brokerage over another, but there's only one brokerage I know of that's written like over 10 books on how to become a better version of yourself. All the other brokerages are focused on profit, including Berkshire Hathaway, which is owned by Warren Buffett, who is all about profit. Mm -hmm. So of course Gary's focused on profit as well, but it goes far beyond that. Yeah, it's it's how to how to build yourself as a person, right? As a human. That's well, let's let's look let's unpack your investment business because, I mean that yep. that just that one little business alone is freaking awesome, dude. It's yeah, awesome. It's exciting. So, hey, before we so, do that, Rob, I want to invite your guests if that's okay. Rob negotiated so, a discount for you guys. I teased it earlier. He's going to get you a hundred dollars off if you want to come out and hang out with us in Omaha. Uh, June 1st through the 3rd, we're hosting a two-day event. It's all on building teams in the investment space, in the residential real estate space. Uh, we have thought leaders from across the country, even in Canada, that are going to be speaking. Uh, the owner of Rockerbox is speaking, Josh Cunningham. The owner of Sisu is speaking, Char uh, Brian Charlesworth and his wife, Spring Benson. We have um, Rock Thomas, who used to work with Tony Robbins, actually, as a coach. He's going to be speaking. He owns a market center up in Montreal for Keller Williams and then a coaching company called M1. And we have the author of Micro Famous, Matt Johnson, coming, and he'll be speaking. Um, 
I have Gret, um, Gary Boomershine just wrote a book. I don't know if you knew that, Rob. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in the, Rob and I are both in the same group with Gary. Gary's coming and keynoting at the event as well and speaking about his book. So it's going to be a pretty awesome event. This will be our biggest event yet. We'll probably have a couple hundred people there, but the after hours is the best part. So we do a silent disco and we have a ton of cool things planned. So if you guys want to go check it out, don't have anything going on the first week of June. It's in downtown Omaha. It's a great place to travel to because it's like a five-minute Uber ride from the airport to the Marriott Capital District. The whole event is in the Marriott. It's super nice, brand new facility. Go out to the teambuildingsummit.com and then put in the word podcast so that we know it came off this podcast. Just put in the word podcast at the top. It'll get you 100 off. It'll be $297 and everything's included. I mean, the hotel's not included or flight, but the event's included. The food at the event is included. We have all sorts of little surprises. We don't make money on the event. It's totally break even. We make money if you choose to join our coaching company. And that's yeah, transparent. And, 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 what, and what I'm going to say is Jeff does everything first class, right? Thank it's it's first class. Last year was super impressive, man. And what I loved about it was, here was the thing. This is what I knew, like you had a ton of leverage in your life. We're hanging out. We're at your house. We're like swimming in the pool. We're playing pickleball. In the meantime, you got this big ass event that's being put on right not um, breaking a sweat at least you didn't look like you were breaking a sweat i didn't think about it that's yeah, not what i do think about yeah that wasn't my actual role that's right you just showed up and and you did this what you do best right um, which is and i have amazing people you, i mean i wouldn't have been able to do it without my support well let's talk a little bit about that right right okay. there just amazing people um to do this you have to be able to nail the leadership hiring piece of the business, right? Like mm-hmm. people need to stay with you for an extended period of time to really like anchor in and grow roots yeah. and all the rest. What do you, what do you think is, what, what words of wisdom would you have around that hiring and retaining great people? Yeah, I got, I have it. It, it took me a long time, but I do have it. I'll say mm-hmm. that confidently. Um, there's a book out there and I read the book after believing in this concept. The book was a validation of the belief system and it's the dream manager. Great and book. the book, you've read it. The book, The Dream Manager, outlines a janitorial company that has about 700 employees and they're having a trouble with uh, employee retention. And in that industry, you have a lot of people that are you know, below the poverty line that are choosing to work in the janitorial industry and they don't have um, rides to work. And the person that owned the company thought throwing money at the retention problem would solve the problem. And a lot of real estate brokerages do this, right? Oh, if we pay a better split, the agent will stay longer. And they think that's how you solve the problem. Well, they decided to do a survey before paying everyone more to hope that they'd stay longer. They decided to run a survey quick and see what the real pain points are. Will the money be the difference maker? And they came to discover transportation was the difference maker. So they got a shuttle service and the retention went way up. And there's a lot of other examples in the story. I won't steal all the thunder. Go read it. But what they discovered in the end was that nobody wants to be a janitor when they grow up. Surprise. Dana, do we have a sound effect for that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> surprise yes. there it is there we go uh, people want something else and this person had such an abundant mindset the owner of the company that he chose to hire professional life coaches and um, in- investor coaches to help the people in his world the janitors and in his world um, live and lead their best life and he knew that in so doing a lot of these people would end up leaving his company But how do you think those people felt from a loyalty standpoint to somebody that's giving them life coaching and uh, financial planning and teaching them concepts they never learned when they went through just to the fifth grade and then came to our country? 
I mean, it's pretty fascinating. It, it like made hairs rise on my arms because I think about my role and my role as an influencer like you, Rob, having a podcast like this. Like people think, oh, they must be making tons of money from the podcast. This is our giving it back to the world. Mm -hmm. This is our platform for helping others. And in so doing, we get to hang out with each other. So it's like it's a win win because we get the knowledge from each other on the phone call or the podcast. And then the whole world gets to hear the conversation and it's a value add for the world. So the answer, long answer, sorry for that, is building a business that becomes the solution for someone to live their dream. Yeah. And understanding that that might mean they have to leave your business eventually. But if you can build a business big enough, they'll never have to. That's why we launched the mm -hmm. brokerage. We wanted to build mm -hmm. a sandbox big enough that no matter how big someone dreams, they can build it inside our world. And now when you think about leadership, how much bigger of a leader will you have to become to keep people like you and I in your world? Gary Keller has Jeff Cohn and Rob Chavez in his world. Mm -hmm. What did he have mm -hmm. to do to keep up there and not go, I can go build a brokerage. I'm going to go launch my own brokerage. He had to massively grow himself as a leader and then get amazing people around him. So what I would say to people is, are you thinking about your business as in that way? Are you building a business that's making the people in your business the very best version of themselves. And so for us, it's all about each person's why. And everyone has to be forced to become self-aware of what they want to accomplish with mm -hmm. the income that they generate inside of our world. And we help them define the income they need to live and lead their lifestyle that they want. Where one person needs 20 grand a year, another person might need 200 grand a year. It's not up to us to tell them how many houses they have to sell or how many mm -hmm. investment deals they have to do. They need to tell themselves that based on how much money they need to make, based on the life they want to live. And then we have them create a board. It can be digital or analog, just a vision board of everything they want to accomplish. And the exact, like, you can't just be save money for college. Well, how much money? And how much are you going to put away every month? So very antiquated. And then we hold them accountable to the activities they have to do to generate the income to live and lead the life of their dreams. And if they're not doing the activity, let's say it's 100 calls a week and they make 50 calls. I don't say, Rob, why didn't you make 50 calls? I say, Rob, what are you going to take off your vision board? <laughs> Dude, I love that. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Brass tacks. Like, that's it. Like, and that's okay. You're not going on the company, you know, the, the family Disney trip, or you're not saving money for little Billy. And that's okay. But you've made the choice. You're not going to do the activity that generates the income to live and lead the life <laughs> you said was your dream. So it must not have really been your dream or you're getting lazy around something. So to me, that, that's the sticky component. And so what I have said hundreds of times, my people would verify. I have said in front of everyone so many times, too many times, if you guys don't think that this company is the solution to you living and leading the life of your dreams, I would invite you to leave this company and go find a place where you can be a better version of yourself. If you can say that to every person in your organization, if they choose to leave, God bless. Goodbye. Good luck. <laughs> hope, hope you kill it. Like, I've had a lot of people close to me leave. They might be listening to this. My whole sentiment is like, I hope you do better. I want to hear that you're killing it. But most people, they're not killing it. They leave my world. We've actually we audited every 12 months, every agent that leaves. And it was like less than 15% of the agents that ever left our team made more money not with us than with us. And over half of the people left the industry altogether. And I've lost hundreds of agents, obviously, over the last 15 years. So... I find it kind of fascinating and I want people to succeed at the highest level. But the truth is that when you build a business that helps people become a better version of themselves and you require them to plug into that, most people don't want to be exposed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Most people don't yeah. want to be held accountable. They don't want to be trained. They don't want to have to go to a meeting. They don't, you know, they chose this industry because they thought they could hide. And it's the coffee for clovers, closer skid in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross with Alec Baldwin. And the guy goes to get the coffee. He's like, coffee's for closers. The whole sentiment is like people want to have the coffee and they want to hang out in the group. Like they're busy and they're like, I got another deal coming. Deals are going to be popping soon. But at the end of the year, they do 3 million in volume. And you're like, what did you do all day? You're here for all time. How did you only do 3 million? Yeah. I'll tell you how they only did 3 million. They didn't spend 80% of their time prospecting and 20% of their time getting their clients to sign on the line that is dotted. They drank mm-hmm. coffee and bragged about how successful they were. I People aren't successful because they don't do activities that breed success. That's bottom line. It's the bottom line, right? Whether you're an investor, whether you're an agent, any business, right? Yeah. And I think that that's probably what you connected the dots on at some point. You, you woke up and you said, you know what? All these businesses are are pretty much the same, right? They require, yeah, they're the same. And all I need to be able to do is find the right leaders and pour in the right energy and and we can make magic happen. So you end up up being able to learn how to pick the right people. And uh, do you, by the way, are they business partners of yours or are they? Well, it depends what people and in what business. So anyone that, like a mortgage company, title insurance, all those companies, the people that have ownership with me are the people that carry the licenses. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to go out and get, like, people, some people are like, how do you have all these things? How do you have the time to go get those licenses? I'm like, you don't have to get your license to own things. Like, think of Warren Buffett or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. You think those guys have licenses to fly rocket ships? Like, Elon Musk can't fly a rocket ship, right? I don't know. I'm talking out my ass right now, but I don't think he can fly a rocket ship. He has people that do it. He has scientists that know how to do rocket p- propulsion. Like you're only as great as the people you can connect with. You don't have to be great. You just have to be good at connecting people and finding good people. So well, we I talked earlier, Rob, about in- entries and exits. I want to speak to that fast. Sure. Uh, just sure. It, we breezed over and it's a big deal. It's a big deal because back to my point of what life is all about. And each of us have a different goal of what we think a successful life looks like. And that's okay. Live the life you think is what represents success. Don't try to be Rob. Don't try to be Jeff. Don't try to be Dana, who's my producer here today with us. Be you. Be your best self. But you need to know how to quantify that or else you'll never be successful. So what is success? That's what the whole idea behind the vision board. But the thing I found fascinating in my own life journey is I thought that board was going to be a board of items that I was going to check everything off and then I did it. And what I've discovered is every time I check something off, I deleted it and I had an open space on my my paper that I had to add the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And I'm adding stuff like I'm doing crazy stuff now. Like I got sailing certified to rent 50 foot catamarans. I'm going for 10 days with my family and my brother's family to the St. Thomas um, on May 27th. We were renting a 50 foot catamaran and sailing around the islands. Like that's awesome. I, I couldn't have dreamed of that 10 years. I, someone told me 10 years ago, like I actually chartered a boat in 17 and I thought, man, this is so cool. I hope I can charter another boat. Like I, we had a captain and stuff and we're doing it like ourselves. It's it's just fascinating to me. And I watch this and this is what gets my juices flowing when I watch people in my world that take something off their board. And now they put something crazy on. And I'm even thinking, dude, they're putting that on. Like that's their next goal. That's insane. And then they do it. And then the next thing and I'm like, this is people living their full potential. So entries and exits. I started learning this more now because my businesses have started to have evaluation in the beginning. I'm in survival mode which is okay. That's most people listening to this. I was there too, listening to podcasts and being like, well, dude, you don't have any frame of reference anymore. You're totally out of touch. <laughs> well, guess what? My budget 
in 2005. 2006 is when I graduated college. Let's go to 2006. How long ago is that, Dana? 15 years ago? My budget for date night, okay, I was married. I had a baby at that time, uh, was $10. And we would go to Blockbuster Video and get a $5 video. And then we would go to Little Caesars and get a $5 hot and ready pizza. Yeah, and that was that's date a good night. night. That's a good night. Dude, that was a great night. <laughs> that was 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's nuts, dude. Like that's how fast things can happen. So like 15 years might seem like a lot of time. That's nothing. That's a blink. And how did I get here? How did anyone get to where they are? Small, simple things consistently over long periods of time, but being self-aware of where you are. So entries and exits to know how to build your exit. You should do that before you enter. So like you don't, you can't know it all, but you can have an idea of like, man, if I launched an investment company, our goal would be a hundred doors and it'd be valued at $10 million. And once we had this much cash flow, then I'd retire and I'd be good to go. Okay, cool. Whatever that is that you think is big and you're impressed by, let that be your thing. And then you build a whole business plan. And this should be on one paper, by the way, put one page mm -hmm. bullets. This is how many calls I need to make this much. I spend on marketing. This is going to help me pay for the marketing. Here are the people that I'm going to need. You build it all out on a piece of paper. And then over the course of six months to a year, you make that a reality. And what you'll come to find out is you didn't need as many of this and you needed more of that. You didn't have enough money here and you needed more money there. And maybe I don't need 100 doors. Maybe I need 50 doors or maybe 100 doors is really easy. Now I'm going to go to 1,000 doors. And that's life. That's the journey. But if you don't have the template to begin with, I can't tell you how many people will be like, hey, I have this business idea. And I'll be like, oh, cool. And then I'll start ask, asking the questions. How many restaurants? How many locations? How many cooks would you need? How much money? To your point before, Rob, it's every business is the same. It's just mm -hmm. a profit and loss. Mm -hmm. It's profit and loss. It's ones it's and zeros. I was profit. having this conversation with uh, with Gary Keller. And he was like, um, you have to know what the end game is going to look like. Like it's got to be, it already has to be completely built out. And if you're going to build it, like build it as big as you possibly can. And you begin with the end in mind. And then just like you said, you just start filling in. Like what's it going to look like per region? What's it going to look like per state? What's it going to look like? You know, uh, for the U for for the U.S. for Canada globally, and he's like, but, but the more clear you become on that, like, the faster it's going to happen, right? And then constantly, like you said, just recalibrate, recalibrate, yeah. recalibrate. Right. Well, I, I read a book, and I've read I've read a lot of books, and for, at an early age, I remember reading a book. I was like 21, 22. I got married young, right after I got back from Brazil, and it was called "Smart Couples Finish Rich" by David Bach. And then he wrote a mm -hmm. second version called the, the automatic Latina Factor. Millionaire. Oh, yeah. He also wrote no, the automatic millionaire. Probably. Um, and then I wrote a book. I read a book called How to Be Rich or How to Get Rich. It was by the guy that started the European PC magazine. And then he did a US version. And something has stuck with me ever since reading the book. And I hope this applies to the listeners. He said his pursuit in life was to be a billionaire. That was always his thing, which fun little side fact. I think there's around 2,600 billionaires right now. Um, a year and a half ago, there were only like 2000. So there's been like this huge influx of billionaires, which is kind of weird. If you look at what's been going on in the world the last 12 to 18 months, but there's not a lot of billionaires. So that was this guy's goal just for fun. Like, Hey, I want to be a billionaire. So at, in his thirties, he says in his book that he was worth a hundred million dollars net worth mm. in his thirties. And it took him another 30 years to be a billionaire grinding, mm. right? To get to a hundred million to a billion. He grinded for 30 more years. And he says his biggest regret is he wishes he could go back to be that 30 year old at a hundred million net worth and write poetry on the hills of Italy for the rest of his life. He wasted 30 years to obtain $900 million and he can't buy that time back with 900 million. He said 
he would give 900 million to be 30 again. And it's really fascinating because we judge ourselves based on all these other people. Like we're in this group together, Rob, and there's people in that group with tens of thousands of doors and Clint and I have 140 doors. And then other people have 10, like there's people listening right now that don't have a door. Don't become something like if in the beginning you need someone to inspire you. Great. But like figure out who you are and what you need and what your exit is and what your life would look like if you were making enough money to meet your needs. Like what would you keep doing for fun? Would you be surfing? Would you be working still? And not, there's not a right answer. That's the thing that's so fascinating. There's nothing, it's not right or wrong. It's what you, what's making you happy and what brings fulfillment to you. Man, that is, uh, those words are so wise, right? It, it, uh, I've been reflecting a lot on that actually recently within, within, you know, my life. It's just like, Hey, you got to make sure that you're doing what you want to do. Like, what does your life look like? It doesn't matter whether anybody else is doing like build your thing. And yeah. there's a, the whole, uh, you probably heard it and I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but where a consultant meets the, the fisherman right in a little town. And he's like, fisherman, I love this one. Yeah, Wait, right? I know. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's, it's well, you, you get it, but you know, the gist is listen, this oh, but no, no, no. okay. He's like, the, the fish, I'll share, I'll share it. I'll share it. Right. Like the, the fisherman's out there and he's, he's fishing and he gets to spend the afternoons with his family. He gets to play the guitar and you know, he, he's, he lives a modest lifestyle and a consultant who's vacationing comes in and says, Hey, you know, if you just did a little bit more work, if you got another boat, you could actually make more money. And he's like, okay, well, then what? He's like, well, then you could buy another boat and you could hire some more people and then other people do it. And he's like, okay, then what? Right. And, and he plays that out. And then he says, okay, well, what happens at the end? Well, at the end, you get to sell all of it, retire to an island, get the fish all day, enjoy time with your family, play the guitar. Right. And it's like, but I'm doing that now. Right. Yep. I and love so, that. Yeah. It's such it, a good it, story. It I does come full. It does come full circle, right? Yeah. Well, and that is why the life journey is learning like what makes one happy and how to make the people in your world happy. And happiness is different than pleasure, right? Than instant gratification. And society, media, whatever you want to call it, sells this idea that instant gratification is what makes us happy. And it's the exact opposite. It's working hard at things over long periods of time, relationships, health, business, whatever the thing is, but it's working hard at something consistently over a long period of time. And the happiness, in my opinion, is not found when you pass the finish line because there isn't one unless you want, unless it's when you're under the grass. Happiness is discovered on the path to greatness. Mm -hmm. That is when you are the happiest. It's when you're in the deepest, darkest, hardest, most challenging moment of your life. And you think this is so hard. I can't believe I have to be here to get there. And once you're in the metaphorical there, I did air quotes for those listening. You look back and go, I was so happy when I was at the office till 10 at night and grinding and missing stuff. Like there's a sense of happiness because you know you're sacrificing it all and you're putting it all out on the line. And you think about sports. I mean, if you anyone listening is like an athlete, I think about the greatest time in, in sports for me. And it's like when I was in the gym, sweating it out, working hard, two a days in football. Like you wouldn't have thought that's what your happiness was. You'd think it was when we won the state championships, which my team didn't. But if you had won a state championship, that's when you're the happiest. No, that's not when you're the happiest. Like, I, I've been watching the last dance a second time with Jordan and he like just crumbles after the championship where his dad had just passed away. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about mm -hmm. winning the championship. Like he didn't cry because he had won a championship. He had cried because his dad had died and his dad wasn't there. And he had sacrificed so much to get to that point, to bring that team to that 
I think it was the fourth one. I don't remember. So I know we're getting into some freaking stuff, but it is is important. So I wrestled D1 in college, right? And Oh, nice. I didn't know that. You know, if anybody knows about that, you give up your life to to essentially train two times a day and uh, it's... Not eat. Not eat. Dude, it is friggin' difficult, right? And I... Oh, the the weight class doesn't even fucking exist anymore. Oh, sorry, but doesn't even exist anymore, right? Oh, your weight class. My weight class, it's 118, right? So I cut from 145 to 118. No, I'm sorry. And, you know, you just... I trained, like, all the time. But I look back with so much self pride and so much you build so much self-worth that literally you just realize i can go through hell and come out the other side and like it just like that's i I think that's why i love hiring athletes many times because they they understand this concept of of failing forward right like you're gonna get beat up that's just just it's just the game right You're, you're gonna fall you're gonna pick yourself back up you're gonna learn something you're gonna calibrate and you're going to say exactly what you said earlier in the podcast. Like, okay, this worked. This didn't work. Let's get rid of this. We're going to do a little bit more of this. And and that's constant. That's a that's an athlete's yeah. life. That's a business owner's life. And I think that's probably one of the greatest things I learned when I was wrestling in, in high school and in college. It's just like you're constantly imp- – you have to constantly improve and put yourself out there and test. Yeah. Right? I love it. When I um, – and we'll, we'll end on this if that's okay. But sure. when I got into real estate – my grandma cried because she was so unhappy about it. She thought that I had chosen a lesser path, if mm-hmm. you will. And mm-hmm. I think about this for anyone that's an investor. I'm sure like, yeah, anyone can flag, oh, I'm an investor. But like, what does that really mean? When I meet someone, they say they're an investor. I'm like, mm, okay. Like, are they, really, <laughs> are they really doing it? Or are they talking about doing it? There's a big difference. So my grandma thinks, oh, geez, this is what he chose. And he has like a college degree. And he he was like, one of the kids that was going to make it and he just chose to be an agent and i had like like, if someone asked me today like did you there's no way in the world i would have thought i was going to be an agent still and that's not a bad calling like agents make great money still right now with commissions where they're at it's a great job you have flexibility if you do the right way it's it can be a great career and i never could have in a million years seen what i see today but to your point i had lived in brazil for two years and Mm -hmm. i lived in four areas which are favelas and they're like the they're like slums, they're like the projects. And I watched people who had one bedroom studio houses made of brick walls with no insulation, no electrical. Um, they had a porta potty in the back, which isn't a porta potty, it's like a lean to of wood they find on the road and they dig a hole in the ground. Like I saw what you see in those commercials where like they say, Hey, send money to people in Africa. Like all over the world, people live like that in their poor areas. Our poor in the United States, most of the poor, and I don't mean to be ignorant with this comment. They don't live like the poor in Brazil that I saw. I've not, at least I haven't seen it. And I've been to some places in the U.S. And so in the darkest times for me in my business, I think back to the people in Brazil. And I'm like, those people are the happiest people I ever knew. They'd give you, they fed us food. I was on missionaries. So like they fed us. I watched people not eat meals so that they could feed us as missionaries. Mm-hmm. They're the most humble people on earth. And I think about our life today and we like stress about things that don't matter. A lot mm-hmm. too often mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're stressing about things that don't matter and we're making it matter because it matters to other people so it's the sentiment you brought up earlier like what matters to you and your significant other and your kids really beyond that to me everyone can go f themselves like mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw that in there. But it's like, quit worrying about what your brother thinks. Your brother is not you. You don't need mm-hmm. to prove anything to anyone else. Just you, your significant other, your children, if you have children. That's all that matters. And then it's focusing on being your best version every single day in every mm-hmm. area. Just a little bit better. Um, Gary put on the book, MREA, it's not about the money. It's about being the best that you can be. And I've corrected him on many podcasts. He hasn't said anything to me yet. I hope he does one day. But I said it shouldn't be being, it should be becoming. Mm-hmm. Because the word becoming challenges us all to improve ourselves every day. Like mm-hmm. listening to your podcast right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that are listening to this, you know your buddies are having a beer. They're already kicking back for the day. They're watching, binge watching something. And they're not bettering themselves. And that's not wrong either. If that's what they want and they're happy doing that, whatever. It's not me to judge, but you're choosing to better yourself. You're investing back in yourself by listening to the podcast and it will make you think differently and your thoughts will change and your actions will change because of it. And you might not connect it to this podcast episode, but you can admit, we can admit, and I'll admit all day long, I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for the podcast I listen to, the books that I've read and the people that I choose to continue to mastermind with. And the crazy thing of all of it is whatever you all think of Rob or whatever you think of me, the more successful and I did air quotes again, I've become, <laughs> the more I recognize I know nothing. The more mm-hmm. I recognize, mm-hmm. the more humble I feel and this guilt slash responsibility on my shoulders of making sure I take care of everyone else, of making sure I communicate on the podcast and at workshops and at events what it really means to be successful. And no more of this whole like fist bumping, crushing, they're a rock star, this event was epic. There's all these like cliches. And to me, it's all BS. It's big hat, no cattle. Um, it's not about the money. It's about becoming the best that we can be. Becoming. Jeff, I love it, man. Thank you for sharing time with Grid today. I appreciate it. Man, this has been awesome. And uh, I wish that I could see you in June, but hopefully I will, I'm will. i going to be traveling with family. No worries. That's us, a good reason. With, with us, it's family first, right? But man, thanks Absolutely. so much. So take advantage of Jeff's offer. I'm going to make sure that we put it in all the show notes. And we're going to try to get this out ahead of time so everybody can can partake. But man, I've learned a lot today. I know people on this podcast are going to learn a lot. And I thank you so much for sharing time with me this afternoon, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. It's really great to chat with you too, Rob. Thank you very much. And um, if anyone else wants to enter into my world at all, you can follow me on Instagram at Jeff M. Cohn. Um, I'm out of Facebook spots, so don't, face, don't send me a Facebook invite. Just follow me on Insta at Jeff M. Cohn. And then if you are in the residential real estate space and or want to be in the mortgage title or insurance space, just go out to growwithers.com to learn more about our coaching, upcoming events, all that fun stuff. And if you want to play pickleball with him, he's a ringer. <laughs> you got a pickleball game. Let me know. <laughs> Let me know. Look me up. Okay, man. Take right, care. Man. Bye. Thank you.